0: This is the THORN Podcast, Performance Edition, the show that navigates the complex world of sports science and explores the latest research on diet, nutritional supplements, and the human body. I'm Joel Totoro, Director of Sports Science at THORN. As a reminder, statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Thorn Podcast, Performance Edition. Joining me today is professional tennis player Coco Vandeweghe, a former junior U.S. Open champion and a top-ten singles player known for her incredibly strong serves and for the two WTA titles under her belt. Coco, it's great to have you here. How things been going for you lately?
1: They've been going well. I've been in a tough training block. I'm just winding down, uh, about ready to go played my first tournament in a while i have two tournaments lined up in mexico and then another one in miami after that and then who knows from there
0: right yeah it's been a very very open year so uh excited to have you on excited to talk to you we're going to cover a couple topics about performance and just kind of get a little bit, I, I kind of want to start, you know, with a little bit of a background for those of our listeners who don't know you. You come from a pretty famously athletic family. How did that kind of shape your competitive nature and what was your path uh, to pick tennis as your sport of choice?
1: Well, I never really knew anything else but being competitive. I, everything was competitive in my household and everyone thought they were the best at every everything that there was to be the best at. And it was really fun, enjoyable, little games, even card games are super competitive and My household and when we all get together with the extended family, it gets even more so. The spoons games get a little wild, which is a card game we all play, and I've always enjoyed growing up in a competitive family. And I fell into tennis, actually, because my mother fell in love with tennis when she was done with her own athletic career, Um, was in New York and playing for fun, and I refused to play tennis for the longest time. I didn't like it. I liked being in a team sport. I was a very good basketball player and she knew the only way to get me into tennis was to put my older brother. He's a year and a half older, Bo. And I would naturally just follow him being the annoying kid sister. And that's how I ended up in tennis.
0: That's great. It's always great when, uh, your your parents are or your your mom or someone close to you is, is ends up being your best coach even though you kind of didn't know it at the time right <laughs> yeah and uh, i've always said growing up in a pretty large competitive family uh no one will ever trash talk me as much as my siblings do so i'm mentally mentally ready to go on the on the performance field so uh, it's great that you come from that background. I think it, it definitely shapes a ton of, of who we are as athletes. So let's get kind of right into it. Can you kind of put us in your shoes uh, when you were playing doubles with Ashley Barty to win the Grand Slam? What was that
1: like? Well, I was playing injured, so I was in a very different mind frame than what I uh, and normally am. I had lost in singles, so my main focus was on doubles. And even though doubles is team sport, I, I was going very singular because I had to make sure everything was taken care of on my end, that I was fit enough, that I was taped up enough. All that jazz That is no fun to hear about or to talk about, but it was interesting going out there. I was super nervous. We were playing on Arthur Ashe Stadium at the U.S. Open, which is the biggest stadium in tennis, and it was packed. It was so much fun, exciting, electric. I mean, all those feelings that you want to feel when you're viving for a championship title. That's awesome. So,
0: uh, like you said, it's always, it very rarely is it either one extreme or the other. What would you say if you had to pick one moment in your, that's the most kind of joyful moment in tennis for you?
1: My most joyful, I it'd be two. Um, being in the Rio Olympics uh, would be number one. And then number two would be winning the Fed Cup title, a very prestigious title for us in tennis. It's Team USA against the world, basically similar like the Olympics and myself and various members of Team USA won our title in 2017 away in Belarus. So that was really exciting and a a memory that I won't forget.
0: That's incredible. Uh, So on the flip side, as much as sports can give us incredible highs, it can also give us some pretty incredible lows. What was it like for you kind of the moment you knew you hurt your ankle and Kind of take us inside your head and put us in that moment, and, and what is that like what's your response right in that moment?
1: it was It was pretty shocking awe. Um, I knew I hurt my ankle at Wimbledon in 2018. I did it in match, and I tried to see if I could get through, but I, I lost in three sets, and I took off my shoes and I saw how big my ankle was, and I thought, oh no, I'm in bigger trouble than what I thought. Adrenaline can do a lot of things for you. But I went, got MRIs, and I found out that I had ligament tears, I had bone spurs, I mean, all sorts of things that I've been running on my feet for a long time. And I rehabbed it back to best of my ability, and I decided, probably ill-advised, to continue to go play and play the U.S. Open and play all these events, and it just made everything worse. I didn't have enough time to recover and it ended up coming to a head at the end of 2018 when I was finally diagnosed with CRPS, which is complex regional pain syndrome. It's something in your nervous system goes haywire. And it's a fight or fight mechanism in your body. And it shut down my whole right foot. I couldn't walk for months. I, it was so hypersensitive. I couldn't even have a bed sheet on my foot. I couldn't put socks on. I mean, nothing. So I had to relearn how to how to do everything. I had to le- relearn how to walk, I run, all those things. And it was very humbling. It was a very humbling experience. And getting back going towards the end of 2019, pretty much, was when I decided I was going to just jump off that diving board and, and see if I could do it again.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a, a good point there. I think a lot of athletes and a lot of people listening, it's easy to fight through those kind of nagging injuries and, you know, be you know, mentally tough or whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, it can, you know, over time, if you ignore them, uh, it can end up being a negative as, as great as it is to push through some things at times. So I think I think a lot of people have a response to the normal injuries. You had such a unique injury, you know, your, your CR, CRPS, like that's not something a lot of people know about. Rarely, you know, not something, you know, practitioners like me learn about in the textbooks. How is that rehab, that process different, right? Like you said, you had to relearn everything. How is that different from, you know, kind of the the rehabs and, and the kind of return to play stuff you've dealt with in the past?
1: Yeah, it's it was strange. I mean it not like you said, not many people know about it. I had never heard of of such a thing. It's very rare. It took lots of physicians looking at me, orthos, I mean everyone was, was looking at it like, I have no idea. Maybe it's an infection. Maybe, it, yeah, I mean, I was getting all sorts of things. It actually was a doctor that was about to retire. He's like, yeah, I mean, they taught us this. This is what I think it is. Go to Stanford, go see the specialist of CRPS, Dr. Taufik. And so I flew up to San Francisco, went to Stanford and she's like, yeah, I mean, this is what you have. It's It's rare. And we're seeing it more and more in female athletes and the therapy for it was long and tedious. I mean, it's a lot of mirror therapy where I'm looking in the mirror and it tricks your brain that it flip-flops and I'm trying to move my toes and I'm trying to move my left foot and my brain thinks it's your right foot that's actually injured because you're looking in the mirror and that's the way it looks. Other than that, it was, the therapy was handle as much pain as you can, having people touch it, having objects touch it. And that is like, I mean, I crippled down to the ground, I filled a whole therapy table of sweat, because I was in so much pain, and my body was overreacting. And it was nothing I would wish on anybody. But, you know, once I I go through it, and um, I'll live with it for the rest of my life, anytime I have to go into surgery, I have to let everyone know because it can happen again in a different extremity. And I've actually had great outpouring responses from different people that are suffering with it that I didn't know it was such a big problem and it's I I'm happy to lend a helping hand and what I have done that works for me and you know it's it's not easy and some people never get rid of it they just can't go through the pain of therapy for it
0: I think you bring up a great point. I think it, it, one of the toughest things is t- kind of twofold there. That that journey to where, you know, something's happening to you and nobody can tell you what's going on. It's one of the most frustrating things. And and then, like you said, finding out other people have dealt with this, you know, as rare as it is, I think that it's awesome that you're kind of out there and letting people know, um, you know, this is something I've overcome. It's something that's out there because so many times when you have a rare disease or a rare rare situation, um you know you do feel like you're all alone so i think that's that brings up a point that i think is pretty aggressively under talked about in in athletics and in recovery um, which is the mental side you know you go from being this competitive person you know kind of every day is a win or lose you know whether it's in training or in competition and then you're you're like you said you're struggling to even get your brain to think about the which foot to use how did you kind of deal with that it's such a big part of recovery and then any kind of like learnings or ways you've changed coming out of that incredible journey you had
1: i i actually would say i did a terrible job at at mentally checking myself i mean i went from competing at such a high level to winning tournaments beating great players and doing all these things to whole reality check and identity check of like who am i without this i mean i went from running around and Playing a sport that I love, to I can't walk, I can't stand up, I can't do anything. I, I need help twenty four seven. I mean, I was on crutches. I I needed people to help pick me up out of a car. Like it was ridiculous, and it was overnight. And I really mentally didn't do well with it in the first couple months that I was dealing with it. I was had a whole identity crisis of like, what am I without tennis, and who am I without tennis? Because I never At some point you think, is this pain ever going to go away? Am I ever going to be able to walk without pain or a limp or what all these other things I was dealing with? And it took actually just my friends and family just bugging me, honestly, just like, get up, go, go come, I'll come pick you up. Like, I'll take you to this place. We'll go grab dinner. Um, My brother came in and and lived with me for a month just to bother me. (laughs) It was I mean it was it was crazy. That's kind of what kicked me out of it. Yeah, I was showing up and going to the gym and being accountable, but being accountable is one thing, but not feeling good about yourself is a completely different mental thing that I'd never really had to go through. I always felt invincible, and for me to feel less than was unacceptable and I couldn't figure out a way to get out of it. But I have to thank my friends and family for coming in the clutch for me of just forcing me to do things that I would even just like go and taking a shower and washing my hair was a chore. Like it was one of those things. And so I was like, okay, well, I got to make sure I am all dressed and ready to go. So you're giving me a reason to do it.
0: Yeah. I think that that's so important. And especially in a, in a largely individual sport that you play, it's easy to be, you know, the CEO of you and, you know, you control everything, but, you know, as you mentioned in, in your recovery and just kind of your, your mental adjustments, Having a team around you is just so important. Um, so, kind of want to talk a little bit on the performance side. So, you know, over the years, talk a little bit about your journey and how learning to work with coaches and trainers and a sports dietitian over the year has really changed how much attention you pay to recovery and performance and, and kind of what you've learned along the way.
1: well i was I was introduced to it very early on when I was with the USTA for a little bit. I was probably, uh 17, the USTA is our Federation for Tennis, and they were trying to teach me of healthy eating and how to take care of yourself recovery-wise, drinking water, electrolytes, and all these things, and I was not as professional as I thought I was at 17, and it came at me real quick. I was in Boca Raton, Florida, and I went full body cramp, and I was like, okay, I'm doing something wrong, and I don't know what it is. And it took some trial and errors and left the USTA and I started working with Exos, which at that point was athletes performance. And I was in Los Angeles training with them and they are professional on top of being professional in every which way. They make sure you have everything lined up and it's almost too easy. You have your your shooter in the in the morning, you have your vitamins, you have um, your after workout shake, you have your during training electrolytes with water and everything's done for you. And I I really didn't take any liking to learning anything about it because it was done so easily for me. And I actually got interested in what was going into my body because I was struggling with a diet that worked for me. And I was about 22, 23. And I really enjoy my meats I like steak I like all those things and um, I was having a hard time figuring out a good balance for myself and tennis is a lot of people put a high emphasis on carbs and I am not a big carb person I like to eat meat (laughs) so the dietitian at Exos at the time was Paige Crawford and I talked to her a ton I was like this is what I want to do this is what I'd like to do and she kind of talked me down and helped me plan how I could enjoy myself. And we put ourselves in a scheme of 80-20. And it was 80% of the time I am locked in. I'm doing everything exactly right. And 20% of the time I can goof around and eat what I feel like eating to an extent. Like I can go have pizza and it's not going to hurt me. And it was really eye-opening that someone was with me along in the journey instead of someone just like, Here's what she got and deal with it. So when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to take with me when I go on the road, I went to Paige again and I was like, Paige, what do you recommend that I take with me as far as electrolytes and, and pre and post and all, all the good things? And she's like, well, I mean, the company we use here is Thorne and, and they're great, they're clean. And that's a big thing in, in sports is you have to have clean materials. You can't, we get drug tested all the time. And we need a company that can be helpful in that area and know what is good for you, and also can be trustworthy to make sure that what we're putting into our body is the safest and cleanest that it can possibly be. Yeah, that was uh,
0: Paige would be very excited about that. That answer you kind of hit everything (laughs) we want to hear. Paige is an incredible sports dietitian. I've known her for years. We definitely need to have her on the podcast because. She can definitely fill up uh, an hour just of her her wisdom. But I think you hit on a couple of things <laughs> that uh, our, I think our audience needs to hear is that, you know, what works for somebody else doesn't work for may not work for you. It is Im- so important to find what works for you. And, and it, it can be frustrating to figure that out. But once you do, you know, the fact that it's not uh, a stressor anymore to kind of hit your nutrients and, and, and whatnot, but to really find out this works for me, this is how I can feel good about it. And then getting to the point where you're like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to feel every day. This is what actual recovery feels like. It's, you know, you, you spent so so much of your career just kind of toughing through things you don't need to. But that being said, so what for you, what's the kind of the cocoa plan uh, when it comes to Thorn? What are your kind of favorite products?
1: Um, well, right now, my favorite product is Catalyte. I'm actually <laughs> drinking it right now. Um, I start my day with a bottle of Catalyte um, because hydration is a big component of my day-to-day functioning and recovery. Uh, I'm a very heavy sweater. Um, I sweat out a lot of salts, and um, I lose about three pounds in sweat at most every workout. It's, it's quite crazy. And so I always go one to two with Catalyte for every one bottle of Catalyte I drink. I drink two bottles of water. And that's kind of been my recipe of how I make it work. And, I start my day and end my day with a, a bottle of Catalyte, pretty much. That's awesome. Perfect.
0: Um, so kind of just a couple more things, and then we'll, we'll get to some listener questions. But you're such a dynamic and passionate competitor on the court. But, you know, as we're talking to you and, and kind of anyone who knows you, you're California beach girl at heart, right? So how do you turn it off like when you aren't competing and training and competing? I know a lot of our... Listeners struggle either way, either really ramping up in their training, you know, across all levels of competition or on the other end, you know, getting out of that. Okay. Competition's done. Here's how I unwind. Here's how I relax. What kind of works for you?
1: I do struggle coming out of competition mode. I've been called out by my boyfriend of being competitive with him. Even when I get home, especially after training, I'm kind of hyped up and still like running my mouth and I'm naturally not that outgoing. I struggle to find it, and when I do, I don't stop. So it's kind of it's it's very funny. But my unwinding is I I come home and I take a hot shower. And I sit on the couch and I flip on some trash TV, and I sit with my dog. And my dog, that just she's a German Shepherd. Her and I just veg for like 30 minutes, and then I'll go take her for a walk, and that kind of just calms me down and kind of gets me out from the adrenaline hype that I've been going through through training.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I saw uh, recently you had uh, tweeted out about, uh, you know, National Pizza Day. And, you know, as a sports dietitian, there's nothing better <laughs> than that. We love to see somebody embracing that that 20 percent uh, and really living their life, you know, while taking care of everything else they need to. Um, I know a lot of times we have athletes that it's more like 98 eight two, you know, when they give themselves <laughs> a tiny little bit. So it's awesome to see you've got to that place where, you know, you can have fun. You know, you can enjoy what you need to enjoy while still taking care of everything you need. So, tennis, Coco Vandaway, COVID pandemic, injuries, all that's in the past. Kind of we're looking forward to 2021. What does that look like for you?
1: 2021 is getting back playing. Um, I am so pumped to get back out there and whatever the tennis world decides that looks like, I'll, I'll be as ready as possible. I think 2021 for everyone is just be on your toes and be happy that, you know, maybe you can end up doing something and achieving some sort of greatness as as you keep moving forward and keeping your head held high.
0: Those are great words for 2021, for sure. Uh, All right, we're going to take a short break here. and When we get back, we're going to get into some questions from our listeners. The foundation for every good health routine starts with a multivitamin mineral formula. But what multiformula is right for your unique body and lifestyle needs? The team at Thorne has made it simple for you to find out. Just head over to thorne.com to take a multivitamin mineral quiz. Simply answer a few questions about your diet and lifestyle, and their medical experts will recommend an ideal multivitamin mineral formula for you. Treat your body to the health it deserves with Thorne's foundational health solutions. Learn more by visiting thorne.com. That's T-H-O-R-N-E dot com. All right, and we're back. Uh, Coco, we're going to get into some questions from our audience. So I think we'll start with one that's on everybody's mind. So uh, how has COVID impacted your performance and your training?
1: Well, I actually was diagnosed with COVID just before Thanksgiving. Thankfully enough, I had mild to no symptoms. I never ran a fever. It felt like a head cold to me. My boyfriend got a lot worse, but thankfully also got my taste back by Thanksgiving so I could enjoy myself. But actually training and coming back after 14 days of, of quarantining and getting a negative test afterwards, I had to make sure things I didn't know that COVID affected, I had to go make sure it was all okay. I had to go to the hospital and get an EKG and go through a physical to be able to come back. My physician was really concerned because COVID affects the heart. And if you go too hard, too fast, you can really cause a problem for yourself. But thankfully, I was all good to go. And just, it was hard to breathe. Um, I was struggling to get a full breath of air and that's kind of shocking when you're, you know, used to training. I mean, yes, you you can be tired and gassed and out of breath, but it was I'm going through my dynamic warm-up of stretching and jogging down the field and back and I'm out of breath. I am gassed and it's a problem for me to like get a full breath of air. So, thankfully that only lasted about a week and a half, 2 weeks and I was able to get my wind back and get my body back into training. And luckily I had people around me that were very aware of what was going on. So they gave me the right tools to come back and gave me time to kind of relax and find my own stride in it.
0: Yeah, I think that brings up a good point, which kind of leads to our next question. So um, there is so much behind the scenes that people don't see, you know, they see you, you know, on TV competing, but don't realize how much work goes into stepping on that court. So our next question asks kind of what's your training routine and how much, is in the gym or off the court versus on the court kind of technique work?
1: I'm in the gym Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I have a regen day on Wednesday, and that consists of massage, foam rolling, ice bath, whole nine yards, and a light cardio, which I can pick is tennis, just hit and giggle, or you know, go for a 20 minute jog, um, something along those lines, but. My gym days consist of currently right now of 2 hours in the gym in the morning. So I'm there from 8:30 to 10:30 pretty much and then I have therapy straight after that for just little things that, you know, get tweaked along the way and making sure my foot's all good and my mobility's good and then I go into tennis practice. And my first tennis practice is an hour and 15 hour 30 max and it's all drilling it's figuring out maybe what didn't work well in a practice set that i played or what i haven't been executing in you know day-to-day stuff and just kind of ironing everything out and then later in the afternoon i play a match i play a practice match so I try to work whatever I worked on in the morning, I try to implement into that practice match and then my day is done. I get to chill out. I find a way to relax like I said, I take the dog for a walk and cuddle cuddle and love her up.
0: There you go. That sounds like it sounds like a great way to transition out of uh out of a hard day of training, so. Yeah. We talked about a little bit at the top, you know, coming from a competitive family. How many athletes are in your family?
1: All of them are athletes. (laughs) Just ask them. (laughs) I mean, in in my immediate family, my grandfather played in the NBA. My uncle played in the NBA. My other uncle played pro beach volleyball. My aunt played professional horse polo. She also went to Stanford on a tennis scholarship, but she couldn't become a doctor and work tennis in the same way. And my mom was a two-time Olympian in two different sports, volleyball and swimming. And my older brother, Bo, he played pro volleyball uh, indoor and went to Pepperdine, played volleyball there. Then there's me. And then my little brother, he is about to go to college. He plays basketball. And my little sister plays uh, water polo. She just verbaled to USC.
0: So just casually athletic. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean there's nothing else that we, my mom's like either you go outside and play a sport or you are inside doing homework and what kid wants to do homework so right. I'm outside <laughs>
0: that's an easy choice so I uh, yeah. you, you mentioned a little bit that you were a little adverse to tennis uh, growing up eventually as you did kind of go into tennis uh, who'd you kind of look up to or anyone you kind of modeled or, or took pieces of the game from
1: I definitely took a lot of pieces of a lot of different players my coach was in love with San Francisco served. So it's, that's kind of what it's modeled around. Obviously it's my own little spin on it. I love Jennifer Capriotti and Lindsay Davenport. Um, those were my two favorite players growing up. And as I got older, I, I loved watching Kim Clijsters play. She was, she was fun to watch. And those would probably be my, my role models. And I'm sure I've, my game has taken little bits and pieces from all those players.
0: All right. On the flip side, uh, anyone you see kind of coming up, you really respect their game or you see a little bit of yourself in?
1: Jen Brady. um, She's in the semis of the Australian Open right now uh, this last year. She's definitely come up and she plays very similar to how I like to play. She has a big first serve, pretty heavy forehand, solid backhand, likes to come in at net. She's pretty crafty up around there. So, should be my pick. So other than
0: tennis, what is your favorite sport to play?
1: Right now, probably golf. I've, I've gotten into golf a lot more. I grew up playing golf with my grandfather and that was just to get to drive the golf cart, honestly, between my brother and I, whoever hit the furthest got to drive the golf cart. The other one had to go run up to their ball. So there's always competitiveness. I see, like I told you at the start, no one's safe here, but I, it's an easy way for me to relax and You know, it's not too strenuous and I don't have to worry about getting hurt. All
0: right. We have very different uh, experiences golfing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it relaxing for me at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this is our last question. I know we've got uh, some time crunch here. So what is your secret to victory in doubles and who's your favorite partner?
1: Secret to victory in doubles would be be a good partner, be a good teammate. Um, I think that's what people don't know how to do in tennis. They only grow up playing tennis. Like you said, it's a singular sport most of the time. And I grew up playing team sports. So being a team player and being like, you know, there's no time clock in tennis. You got forever to come back. It's okay. Like I'm a super positive teammate. And that's probably my secret to doubles. You can ask any of my doubles partners. I'm probably one of the most positive people to be around when you're on my side. And my favorite doubles partner, Ash is really fun to play with. Uh, we, talk a lot of crap to each other. Shelby Rogers, she's a good friend of mine. And we played a handful of doubles together. We won Fed Cup together in the doubles, we clinched it. And so I'd say those two.
0: That's awesome. And I think that that's just a good life lesson, right? Just just be a positive partner, right? Goes a long way.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) All right. uh, Koga. we touched a little bit on during this talk about uh, the importance of mental health in athletics and life. You're a supporter of an organization called Headstrong. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Headstrong is an organization that helps PTSD military and their families. And a friend of mine introduced me to this organization and you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at Headstrong. Um, And they're a great organization.
0: That's awesome. Definitely recommend everyone go check them out. And Coco, where can our listeners find you on social media?
1: You can find me, uh, there's a Facebook fan page and I am on Instagram and Twitter at Coco Vandy. You can see me on there doing all sorts of shenanigans or talking crap on Twitter. You know, you gotta gotta keep the timeline moving.
0: (laughs) All right, that's all the time we have. Coco, thanks for joining us. And that was pro tennis player Coco Vandaway. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast Performance Edition. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 daily blog. For this performance edition of the Thorn Podcast, I'm Joel Toro, reminding everyone to stay active and stay hydrated.